Hello there, it's the Bob McCowan Podcast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook apps today. McCowan here, Shannon there, and there is in Edmonton, where the Oilers won their, what, 14th straight game last night? 14 consecutive victories uh, was not the most beautiful piece of hockey that people would have ever uh, watched, but uh, Columbus gave them trouble for 40 minutes. And then uh, the depth of the Oilers and the tenacity of the Oilers took over and Edmonton won 4-1. So 14 games, Bob. It's uh, it's impressive when you consider how this season started. Well, that's sure. Now, that's now two streaks uh, with this coach, uh, Chris Knobloch, one of eight games straight victories and now 14. So... Two more before the All-Star break. We'll see if they can get to 16. They have Chicago here on Thursday and Nashville on Saturday. Just out of interest, what's the all-time record, you know? 17. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins have 17 victories in a row. So uh, they can get to 16 uh, by Saturday. So we'll see what happens. Uh, uh, it, it's funny, talking to the players last night after the game, um, because it's such a topic, it is now becoming... Not necessarily a distraction, but it is becoming a topic that they have to answer all the time. And you, you wonder if that has a little bit more pressure. They, but Bob, they're not out of the woodwork yet. They, they need points. They, need, you know, this is a classic case of the streak is nice, but they've got to really get a, a, well, a better security terrible, blanket about the playoffs, right? Yeah, they had a terrible start of the season. We all know that. Terrible. So this is a comeback. Who do they play in the next three or four games? They so it's get- Chicago. Uh, without Connor Bedard, and that yep. should you know that should be a victory. And then, but the tough game will be Saturday afternoon, and that's the Nashville Predators, who they're um, if they get in if they're in that wild card hunt in the West. Uh, Nashville's one of the teams in in that group, and that's our that's our friend Barry Trotz's team. And the one thing that uh, Nashville has that can uh, change the tide of a hockey game is a really good goalie. And if UC Soros is on, that can change a lot. They're a they're a tough t- they're a tough out. So it will be uh, it will be interesting if they see if the Oilers can get to 16 by beating Nashville. Is that game in Edmonton or in Nashville? No, it's here. It's here in Edmonton. So it's right. uh, then then uh, then there's going to be a lot of guys on the plane on Sunday to you know Cabo San Lucas or the Bahamas for a little right. bit of a break. Mind the you, All-Star there's break, right. Yeah, a few guys are going to have to go to Toronto for the All-Star Week, but uh, I think they'll be happy to take some time off. Um, Morosi is going to join us, so we're going to talk baseball for a while. Where are you on this offseason? I mean, the big thing well, uh, was Otani, but beyond that, almost everything seems irrelevant. Yeah, there is, nothing has really happened yet. And, you know, you wonder if, you know, Scott Boris's clients – what what are they waiting for? The other thing is John is in Cooperstown, Bob, and so oh, yeah. he's there. He's there to report on the uh, the three players that uh, were put into the Baseball Hall of Fame yesterday, and uh, Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, and Todd Helton. And that's uh, I, I, I it's funny. A mediocre lot. Let's be honest. Well, no, but Beltre's Beltre's a great player. The but the other two. I wonder why we think it's a mediocre lot. Is there a uh, the the opposite of a recency bias? Have we do we not respect them because we saw them play, and we always think 
of greatness in in the past about the baseball hall of fame that's uh, that's a question for Morosi, but you know John he will have some information on uh, all three guys and we're going to talk to uh Ray Rado in San Francisco uh as well today uh with the NFC championship in the bay area between the 49ers and the Lions uh, that's uh, that's almost a matchup that uh I think everybody's happy if either team wins uh and then uh, obviously on the other side it's uh, Baltimore and Kansas City. So those are the two topics today. A little bit of baseball and a little bit of hockey. And we've had our fill of hockey, or a little bit of baseball, a little bit of football. And we've already had our fill of hockey with Bob's. He always wants to talk about hockey. That's all you do. Hockey, hockey, hockey. Yeah, that's all you do. No, that's you. You brought it up. I didn't bring it up. Yeah, I brought it up because you do it all the time. You do three (laughs) hockey shows in a row. Okay. Well, we're going to do three non-hockey shows in a row now. Good. Okay. All right. So it's uh, John Morosi first and then Ray Ratto after that. Major League Baseball and the National Football League on the McCowan Podcast. Hi, this is Bob McCowan for BetRivers.com. Hey, if you're looking for a sports book or casino app, you should check out the BetRivers Sports and Casino app today. Play all of your favorite casino games for real money anywhere and anytime. Plus, get in the action with each sports game with hundreds of sports betting options. And get ready to feel like a VIP because you'll earn both loyalty level points and bonus store points on every real money wager you make. You must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, contact Connex Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 or speak to an advisor free of charge. BetRivers.com. Welcome back. McCowan's in Toronto. Shannon's in Edmonton. And for some reason, John Paul Morosi's in Cooperstown, New York. How many times have you been to the hall the last two days? Do you just wander around and look at all the uh, busts and and, and and check things out and, and, and try to, you know, like, like grab Babe Ruth's bat and hit it. <laughs> well, John and Bob uh, always love catching up with both of you. Uh, the answer to that is I have not yet been able to actually uh, swing the Bambino's bat. Uh, that is obviously in a very special location of the hall. There are there actually are different artifacts, bats, gloves, spikes that you can hold but you have to have a very specific audience to do so and you must wear a very special set of white gloves to touch those precious artifacts but the hall is amazing whenever i walk into the the plaque gallery uh, i was there this past couple days with brian kenny and jason stark joel sherman my colleagues from mlb network and you, you just in between segments you get up, you walk around, and you see a new plaque that has new meaning for you as you as you read it. And I've always been struck as well by the in in the Hall of Fame in the in the great plaque gallery when any of the honorees had served in the military, you would see a medallion beneath their plaque uh, huh. indicating the branch of service. So certainly a lot of World War II veterans, and it just gives a real sense of of citizenship and and the deeper meaning of baseball. So um, uh, I, I mentioned to Bob in the opening that Beltre, Maurer, Helton all getting in. And 
Um, I, I would, I, I think the reaction has been lukewarm. I, I, I really do. Um, overall, probably for Maurer and Helton more than more so than Beltre. And I, and I wonder, I wonder if it's a, the reverse of a recency bias, John, that it is that we've seen these guys play their whole careers. Um, and in many ways we've taken them for granted and we haven't appreciated their greatness. That's that's a fair read on if that emotion exists right. for some observers. Right. It, it certainly it, it does not for me. I, I voted for all three of them and did so enthusiastically. Uh, in the case of Maurer, while he did not necessarily catch as many games as Carlton Fisk did, that first decade of his career was so extraordinary, so historic. Three batting titles in four years. Uh, Craig Nordquist, our great researcher at MLB Network, looked this up and, and indicated that there were seven batting titles since 1900 that were won by catchers. So seven batting titles won by catchers since 1900. Joe Maurer has three of the seven. That is historic greatness by any measure. Mm -hmm. And then in the case of Todd Helton, certainly a lot of people want to talk about the home road splits, to which I say two things. Number one, of course, you hit better at Coors Field than you do uh, at sea level. That's that's just a, a basic reality of, of the offensive dynamics of that ballpark. And yet, and yet, his OPS on the road is higher than that of many Hall of Famers, home and road, in terms of his, his success just on the road. So Todd Helton, uh, as I was speaking recently with, with one of his peers, who told me after Barry Bonds, he was the preeminent left-handed hitter in the National League during the era in which he played. And when I hear praise like that, it affirms that Todd Helton is a deserving Hall of Famer. Isn't a big factor in this the fact that uh, Maurer did not play his career in a big city. If he had been in New York, Chicago, L.A., I think the awareness of him during his career would have been much greater. That's you a know? great point. That's a great yeah. point, Bob. I I do believe that the fact that he played in a smaller market, uh, and obviously the Twins did not win a championship during that era. Uh, right. They got to the playoffs multiple times, but did not win a championship. I, I think you're right. He, he was, to many, a little underappreciated for, for how great of a career that he had. And, and Bob, to your point, it is the job of the writers who vote, and I'm really honored to have a vote, it is our job to correct for that. It is our job to look at the voting year by year, because sometimes still even in, in, in this day and age, MVP awards aren't always illustrative of exactly how good a particular player is, because sometimes the writers, historically especially, make mistakes. Uh, there are cases in which uh, players should have won MVPs that did not. Uh, Alan Trammell in 87 is one such example in the opinion of uh, this, this particular observer, totally unbiased, of course, in that particular. I was going to say, I was going to yeah. totally unbiased, but how many, but, how many times were you in, how many times were you in the grandstand at, at, at Tiger yeah, stadium? There you go. There, you, you know that I, I, I knew that would get a reaction from, uh, from John, but, but the, the point is it's our job as the writers to correct for that. And if a player was underappreciated for a certain period of time, this is why we as writers look at it. We're supposed to be the check and balance against how sometimes 
larger market players tend to get a little bit more acclaim. And it also, I think it's interesting, John, that you mentioned Beltre earlier in his career. By the end, he was a no-doubter. 3,000 hits, one of the best two-way third baseman ever, the gold gloves, the silver sluggers, preeminent player at a unique position. And yet, he did not make an all-star team until he was in his early 30s. And in his journey, he got to the big leagues in 1998 as a member of the Los Angeles Dodgers. He made his first all-star appearance in 2010 when he was on his third team with the Red Sox. He became a Hall of Famer in his 30s with continued success. And I think that is a very unique career arc indeed. One of the other things uh, about and Bob and I, I have this argument all the time is I, I, I'm big on championships being part of the equation. Um, irrelevant. And, and Bob thinks they're irrelevant. Where are you? That's a great question. Uh, they, they certainly have some relevance for me. Uh, it, for example, one of the reasons why I voted for both Chase Utley and Jimmy Rollins, they were on historically important teams in Philadelphia that won a world series in 08 that played a very memorable World Series against the Yankees a year later. So October moments, for me, I guess I'll put it this way. They can accentuate and amplify the credentials of a player, but I really tend to, to not hold it against a player if he did not win a championship. Okay. Uh, I realize that the playoffs have changed and expanded over time, so maybe – the postseason becomes a larger part of a player's resume, and, and it should because more teams are involved. And if if you look at a player who's got a great career but is never in the playoffs, I, I do think that might give you pause. But I, I tend to look at it and say getting to the playoffs and being on relevant teams generally matters more than if you won a particular World Series. In a it, given shouldn't, it shouldn't matter at all. Well – Look, at, I'll tell you this. There's a guy, Otani, who signed a $700 million contract. This is a guy, I think we all would agree, when his career is done, will be thought of as one of the top five baseball players of all time. Right? How many times has he been to the playoffs? None. And and to your so point, So how many Bob, World Series has he won? Well, zero. None. And you right. know what? Who cares? One guy right. cannot win a World Series. And he shouldn't be judged on his personal accomplishments based on that fact. Yeah, you're Period. right, Bob. Yeah, th that's a very fair point. I, I suppose the point I would make is I would not count it against Otani, but I would on the opposite side say I will give bonus points to those players who are always involved in the postseason. I, I give well, it a consideration to Otani. It isn't Otani. Do you think Otani could have played better? For the Angels, do you think it's his responsibility that they haven't been to the playoffs? No, of course not. No, of course not. No. Exactly. Of course not. So but, why do you but, give them credit if they win something? They would win something if they had a better team. Right. And that has nothing to do with the Hall of Fame or the that's, individual player. That's fair. I, I, I guess I would make the point, Bob, that the Hall of Fame, and, and my colleague Joel Sherman often talks about this, it is still – Fame and fame is notoriety, achievement, acclaim. Right. It is generally true that 
the great winners of a particular era uh, tend to be those that achieve the greatest acclaim and, and notoriety. I think that there are multiple ways of looking at it, uh, but I, I do think that the, the point that you make, Bob, is very well taken. And on my own ballot, at no point did it cross my mind, oh, Joe Maurer never played in a, in a World Series, and so I have to withhold support. No, that, exactly. that, that never ended the example. Yep. I, I put it in as part of a what I would describe as a checklist. Uh, that, that's what I do. I, I, I've always done that. Not... And probably but more you mentioned that you mentioned always a yeah, lot. I do. I do. Yeah. And it's but really, that's I why I, it's that's ridiculous. why I probably I, that's probably why I'm not in any committee to put people in hall of halls of well, fame. I guess what I would say, guys, is there's a balance. So if you look at it in 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 again in the case of Maurer, three of the seven batting titles ever won by a catcher. That's that's yeah. historic and great. If if you looked at someone who won the Rocket Richard Trophy seven times in a 10 year span and, but never won a cup. You still won the rocket Richard trophy seven times. And, and that, yeah. that is historic enough. You weigh it all in context. Yeah. So, so the, the other, for, for me, JP, the, the, the things that are shifting in every sport are those triggers that say hall of famer. You mentioned Beltre 3000 hits, 3000 hits was that, was that, that watershed number 300 victories used to be that number. Those numbers are shifting now because the way the game is played and and appearances. What are the are there new numbers now? Are there are new, like like Mark Burley didn't get very many votes this year. And I I've always been a Mark Burley fan uh, that way and and then and and we're now at a point in baseball we're never going to see another 300 win guy. We aren't. And I mean how are we going to see 3000 hit guys? Right. Uh, it's, it's a very good point. We may, we may see some 3000 hit players, but you have to get to the big leagues early and, right. and accumulate numbers. So think about, I'll make a, a specific point on Beltre. If Beltre had been a, a player who played in, in college baseball and then went into the draft and debuted at 23 or 24, well, that's four to five years of major league hits that would have disappeared from his record. And that's a significant swing. And so we, first of all, you do optimize the players that get to the big leagues early, meaning players who are either high school drafts in North America or international signees who sign as teenagers, they have an inherent advantage in the counting stat department. Clayton Kershaw, until the injuries hit, was certainly in the conversation to potentially get 300 wins. Now, of course, it's it's very unlikely because of the injuries that he's had. So you're right, John. The the numbers, maybe 250 wins is the new mm -hmm. 300. Maybe it's even 225. Maybe it's somewhere in that range. Uh, but you're right. We're just, we're not going to see that number very often. 2,500 hits is a huge number. And, and I think you're revising things downward. It's just... Right. There's not with with Maurer, there were not the counting stats. Careers can be shorter, but but you have to have something. You have to convince me that you're historically great in some way, either through your longevity or the brilliance of your peak. One way or the other, I have to see that you were great. And and where I think it gets really interesting is so Maurer, of course, with, with his his peak and the batting titles, does his making the hall on the first ballot open up larger and or more nuanced and different conversations 
about players who come up on the veterans committee. And you might say, well, Joe Maurer achieved this number of hits. Well, what about Bill Freehan? If you look at his numbers and compare, but Bill Freehan played in a different time. And so another tiger, another, it's another, just bringing up all, all you do is bring up tigers. That's all you do is I just so (laughs) happened to think of two. It just so happens, John, that one of the best catchers in the history of baseball, who was not in the hall of fame was the catcher on the 68 tigers, Bill Freehan. (laughs) Well, you know, the numbers are really interesting and I, I don't discount what you're suggesting, like how many hits, how many wins you have to have. But that's a fallback, in my opinion. You really, what you need to do is look at the career of a guy. I mean, one of the things that uh, we used to talk about was longevity. You know, a guy who played six, eight years in the majors and was fantastic wouldn't be allowed in the Hall of Fame because the suggestion was he didn't play long enough. Right? Right. Well, and that has certainly changed, Bob. Well, yeah, it has. And, uh, you know, it's impossible. No. Voters who, who look at nothing but the numbers, um, you know, the, and, and make a decision based on that, like 225 wins. We used to we used to look at 300 wins as the minimum bar. Yeah. In other words, if a guy won 299, he's not getting in. He wins 301, he's in. And you know that's true, right? Right. Well, but I think, Bob, in in a lot of ways, that was not an especially fair way to look at things. Of course, it was view, ridiculous. In my view, because let, let's say, again, everything we know about wins and, and the fallacy of, of that being the be-all, end-all way that you view a pitcher, because so if, if a pitcher had, if you imagine he was at 299, he would have had 301, except for his closer blew a save after he had, thrown eight scoreless innings twice doesn't make him any better or worse of a pitcher like the the production and the starts were there I think for this point Bob a year from now it's going to be really interesting to see how well CC Sabathia does on his first time on the ballot because he represents in my view if not the best one of the best of his generation but this Agreed. generation is not winning 300 games anymore. He right. was someone that that accumulated a lot of great seasons and for a time was as dominant as any pitcher in the game. I plan to vote for CC Sabathia even though he did not get 300 wins. Do you know his stats? Like how many wins did he get? Off the top of my head, uh I I can't remember exactly how many it was certainly more than 200 and yeah. and the strike and for me CC's strikeout number is is impressive and indeed very very historically significant because again in this day and age you might have a pitcher with fewer innings but he's going to have more strikeouts because of the approach of the hitters relative to what they were doing 40 and 50 years ago which is why i really think bob it's crucial for us as voters to look at candidates within the context of the era in which they played but C.C. Bathia played at a time when managers generally allowed their pitchers to stay on the mound for nine innings. How many complete games did he have? A lot, right? A lot. He, uh, certainly by the standards of his of his time. I'll do a quick check here. But I, I think during his era, a lot of the best pitchers, when you looked at guys that were able to get complete games, you know, Verlander still has a, a 
fair number of, of complete games. Roy Halladay had the most of that time. So you've got CC Sabathia. He won 251 games. He was 90 games above 500. So 251 and 161. He threw more than 3,500 innings. He had 38 complete games, including 12 shutouts. And his ERA plus was 116, meaning it was 16, sort of 16% better than average among the time in which he was playing. So that, that to me, 251 wins. I guess so. Yeah. A lot of wins. But he was allowed to pitch. Today, sure. guys throw five, six innings, and they get yanked, okay. no matter how good they are, right? I was going to say, at least Sabathia got to the seventh. I mean, that he was one of those guys that, that went, you know, we didn't put no, the I'll give you that. Down. But, you know, five years ago, there were a lot of pitchers that were allowed to pitch nine innings if they are pitching well. Today, almost nobody gets that chance. Yeah, and- right. The other, the other discussion about the Hall of Fame is always the guys that didn't get in. Uh, did you vote for Billy Wagner? I did, and obviously it was a handful of votes that that, uh, that separated him from getting into the Hall. Hopefully he gets in next year on his final year of eligibility, but he is an interesting case of what we're just talking about now with, with CeCe and, and the bulk – sample size of pitchers in this era because he threw fewer than 1,000 innings. Of course, he's a reliever, but fewer than 1,000 innings. And and we have to consider what that means, how that standard is adjusted, and, and how we should look at relief pitchers. He was, in terms of regular season performance, basically the second most dominant reliever of his time after Mariano Rivera. But the difference there is that Rivera was a multiple-time World Series champion, Wagner famously struggled. Oh, yeah. hold on. So yeah. hold on, hold on. So we put championships in for relievers. No, we <laughs> I'm don't. Just, I'm explaining the context. Now, again, <laughs> I voted for Wagner, but there are some, I will say this, there are some voters who withhold support for Wagner almost expressly because of his short and rather indistinguished track record in the postseason. I'm sorry. I couldn't resist when you when you mentioned World Series. Uh, I couldn't mention the, the other one is the guy who's not on the ballot next year, and you wonder if he has enough of a credential to be there is Gary Sheffield, who I always loved watching play. Um, and he's gonna have to go now go through the veterans committee, correct? Yes. I voted for Chef. I am a, a big Gary Sheffield fan. Uh more than 500 homers, one of the most feared hitters of his time. Uh, one of the most legendary figures in the game during the right. time in which he played uh, great character, great personality. And there for me, for me, while his name appeared in the Mitchell report, there was in my judgment an insufficiently concrete allegation to change the way that I think about him. I still believe in the authenticity of his career. That's how I look at Gary Sheffield, uh, a complicated figure in some ways, but but much more positive than negative in terms of his legacy in the game. And and John, to answer your specific question about the Veterans Committee, the ERA Committee as it's known now, as we often see with these committees, it is almost entirely dependent on the makeup of that 16-member committee. And if it is filled with people who know Gary Sheffield, who were around him during his playing career and and understood what a great teammate he very often was 
he's got a very good chance. If it's filled with those who don't understand his competitiveness and, and the way that he carried himself, then it might be an, an uphill battle. But I, I, I love Gary Sheffield. I vote for him enthusiastically, and I hope he finds a way to get to the hall one way or the other going forward. Again, from a numbers perspective, 500 home runs is one of those, to me, watershed numbers. When you it think about be. 300 and 3,000 and yeah, 500. I agree. I agree. You know? So, hey, before, and, before and I, I would say quickly on, on Mark Burley, a former Jay, I, I did not have room for him on my ballot this year. I plan to vote for him next year. I just I had to make a choice if I was going to support Hunter or Burley to keep them both on the ballot. I voted for Tory, but I look at them as being very similarly deserving. For Burley, it's that streak of 200 inning seasons for basically right. a decade and a half. And that, of course, included his time with the Jays. That consistency, again, it, he sort of straddled the era where you did see complete games and then saw fewer of them as he got later into his career. The longevity and the consistency, to me, are standout attributes in their own right, and I really hope that I have room on my 10-person ballot to support Burley again next year. Well, and you listen, you just brought something up that that I tweaked me was that you voted, you put 10 names on your ballot. I always the average, and the but the average ballot this year was seven. There are still, John. There are still plenty of small hall voters. I am not one of them. I'm a big hall guy. I believe that the game is stronger when we celebrate more people who contribute to its history. Uh, There are those that have a very exclusive view of the hall, and that's okay. And honestly, part of my thought process is that my larger hall thinking will Mm -hmm. be balanced by the small hall thinking. And at the end of the day, we got three inductees last night. We've got Jim Leland coming in via the ERA committee. It's a four-person class. I think we've, we've done a pretty good job. You know, next year, maybe it's Ichiro, Wagner, CC. We'll see how that class breaks down. But in general, while the voting process is often debated and perhaps not perfect, we usually elect the right people at the end of the day. Usually. Not always, but usually. I'll, I'll agree to that. Hey, listen, we got to get out of here. Thanks, Morosi. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Bob and John, my pleasure to be back with you guys is always a treat for me and love the conversation. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to the podcast. McCowan was tired of me uh, talking hockey all the time, so we did a little bit of baseball. And now we're going to, like a double play, do a turn and uh, talk about the National Football League for the most part. Ray Ratto is in San Francisco. The 49ers host the Lions on Sunday, NFC Championship. And Ray, this is this is one of those uh, matchups for me that I'm I'm really conflicted because I like both teams. Uh, the 49ers have always been a fun team to watch, and of course, right now, the Detroit Lions are flavor of the day. Yeah, it, it's the Lions are what the 49ers were right before their first Super Bowl, which is the team with a lousy pedigree that all of a sudden, you know hits three lemons on, on the, on the slot machine. And so I think most people, at least South of the border are rooting for the Lions to pull this off. Um, I don't think they will, but, you know, I also didn't think they would, you know, win their division and, you know, cruise through the playoffs so far. So good for them for playing with the casinos money. Do you think the 49ers might take the Lions too lightly or not? No, 
because they barely got out of the Packer game with their pants on. Right. And, and, and they can make excuses about, well, it was wet, you know, it was raining, it was tough to play in. But no, you, the Packers, if you have the kind of expectations the 49ers have, you had to blow Green Bay out of the building. And they they barely won. And I think we can all agree that the Lions are better equipped than the Packers are. So I if the 49ers lose because they took the Lions lightly, there should be firings. I mean, they could lose basically straight up. But if they lose because they weren't attentive enough, then they're dumber than I thought they were. Hey, listen, if the 49ers lose to to Detroit, they're going to be known as the Atlanta Braves of football. You know, oh. a team that always is successful. And how many Super Bowl championships are there in, in, this, in this generation of Niners? Yeah, well, the Niners haven't won a Super Bowl since 1995. Right. And for, for a team whose fans are as smug as these are, that's a damning statistic that they tend to forget. It's that they've had stretches of really bad teams. And this is a stretch of a really good team that hasn't gotten it done. And they're not used to that because for the most part, when they were at their apex in the 80s, they won four times in nine years. So they've sort of become used to, well, if we're in the playoffs, we win because we're us. And they're finding out that, nah, there's a bunch more teams just like you. And you, know, you got to be able to close. So I think that's the, that's the sort of the lesson here is that the 49ers have, for differing reasons, not closed the deal. But I think they're at the stage now where nobody wants to hear why you didn't either do or don't. And you say they're good enough to do, right? I think they're good enough to get there. I'm not sure that they're good enough to beat Baltimore because I'm not sure that anybody's good enough to beat. Baltimore. No, I don't think anybody is. If Baltimore plays a decent game, they win easy, win the Super Bowl easily. I think. Yeah, I mean they 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 already boat raced the 49ers once this year, so a lot of bad things would have to happen to the Ravens on that day for them to lose. I think they are in a league with maybe three elite teams. They are one and two and everybody else is fighting for the bronze. Right. Do you think it matters that Baltimore may be waiting for uh, San Francisco? I don't think you, you wonder if a player thinks, well, so we beat the Lions, we can't beat Baltimore. No, I don't. I think players at that level have a gift for um, self-delusion that is hard to top. Um, they believe that they're the best team in football because they have to. Um, the problem is they don't have the evidence to back it up, at least in this case. If Baltimore somehow loses to Kansas City, I mean, the 49ers also, you know, they've lost to the Chiefs too. So they, by logic, have to go in hungry and think, we have to get this done. I Again, I don't think motivation is a useful excuse at this level. If you can't be motivated for this, go sell insurance. How would you rate Brock Purdy's second half of the season? Um, very good, very efficient. But he suffers from the comparison that people use every quarterback as a target for, which is he's not Patrick Mahomes. You know, he's not Michael Jordan. He's not the elite of the elite. But he gets you wins. I mean, the day that Joe Montana beat the Dallas Cowboys in 1980, 
1981 to get to the Super Bowl with that pass to Dwight Clark. He threw yes. four interceptions in the same game. So it's not really about, did you play 60 minutes of perfect football? It's, did you play slightly better than the poor bastard on the other side of the line? And that's what it gets down to. Is, did you win or did you lose? And style points are for nitwits who like to have bar fights. You know, it's just, it's, did you win? He's been really good and they've won. He's not the only reason that they win. He's probably not even the preeminent reason that they win. But he's good enough for what they need. And ultimately, that's the real standard. Is that the same statement for Jared Goff, do you think? Um, I think so. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, you know, if, if the Lions win, people will love Jared Goff because the story's so good. But I don't think anybody's going to go and say, you know what, I would trade, you know, Jared Goff or Patrick Mahomes straight up. You know, and so should the Chiefs. No, of course not. Yeah, it's just that there are there are quarterbacks who, you know, do not require an explanation. And Mahomes is that one for this generation. And comparing him to anybody else is a fool's errand because everybody else is going to look bad by comparison. In a big game, though, it's suggested that experience is a big thing. In that case, Goff has more, way more experience than uh, Purdy does. Yeah, but... It's a factor. But we are falling into the trap of evaluating teams based on their quarterback. And for almost every team in football every year, the quarterback is not the only reason you win. You've got to be really good everywhere else. And the 49ers are the most egregious example of this. They need, I'm sorry, they need Christian McCaffrey to have a great day more than they need Brock Purdy to have a great day. They well, need McCaffrey has great games all the time, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, I think he is more important to their offense than Purdy is. I think Debo Samuel is, in his way, just as important as Purdy is because he can do a number of different things. And you saw the difference last Saturday when they struggled offensively when, when Samuel went out. And their defense is superb. And if their defense struggles, they don't win either. So if... I think you could safely say if Patrick Mahomes has a bad day where he throws three picks and fumbles once and just, you know, just is you know, sacked five times, you have a pretty good idea the Chiefs aren't winning that game. I don't think you could say that for any other quarterback. I think even if Lamar Jackson has a bad day, I could still I could still see Baltimore winning. You know, in fact, I, I think they could probably win even if he did have a bad day. It's just we compare we make teams about their quarterbacks. And in reality, they're usually not. I blame Tom Brady for that. Yeah, he, 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 he screwed it up for every, every other quarterback in the league. Yeah. I mean, the year they beat the Falcons, you know, they did fall behind 28 to three at halftime. So it wasn't like he played 60 minutes of exemplary football. You know, it just, we, we tend to look at the last five minutes and say, that's the kind of quarterback that guy is. And the Montana stat is still one of my favorites because for three and a half quarters of that game, he was awful. But when the chips were in the middle of the table and his teammates kept him close enough to the Cowboys so that he could do the thing that he did at the end and become like a national icon. So it's people remember the last hand. They don't remember the five hours of poker that happened before. If Detroit is going to be competitive against San Francisco, 
do they have to throw the ball or run the ball? What's more important? Um, I don't know that Detroit is a team that can do one or the other exclusively. I mean, David Montgomery is very good. Um, Amon Ross St. Brown is very good. What they have to do is figure out how to get ahead early. Because the one thing we know about the 49ers, even allowing for last week, is that if you're ahead of them in the fourth quarter, you're in a much better position than you would be against most good teams. So I think what they've got to do is score early and maintain like a touchdown lead going into the fourth. Because at that point, you're asking the 49ers who like to live, you know, with the percentages to do things outside their comfort zone. And even for great teams, that's not an easy thing to do. So I, I don't know if it's a run versus pass uh, situation. I think it's a do both really well. Because if they do one and not the other, then their offense isn't as good. So they, they've got to get David Montgomery to go. They've got to get, you know, they've got to get Jameer Gibbs to go. They've got to get got to get St. Brown and Laporta. They have to operate as though they have multiple weapons, even if they don't. My perception is that both these teams, uh, or neither of these teams, has a great offense, and neither of these teams has a great defense. But they're very good at both. And uh, uh, do you agree with that? Um, I, no, I think the 49ers have a great defense. Uh, I think the Lions have a very good defense, though you can attack their secondary. I think you can attack 49ers secondary too, but their their front seven, I think, is about as good as any in the game. And I think they win more games with their defense than they do with their offense anyway. So if the Lions can score on the 49ers, then that means that they're beating the best 49er vision there is. And so, you know, the 49ers need to, you know, keep keep Detroit, you know, in the low teens. You know, if, if Detroit gets to 24, 27, then it's a shootout and then it's a coin flip. And, you know, coin flips always end up about 50%. And they don't want that. Who's the most valuable one of those linebackers? Is, is Warner the guy? Is he the is he the straw that stirs the drink for the 49ers? Oh, very much so. I mean, Greenlaw is good, but Warner is great. Yeah. Um, Warner, you know, barring injury, has a decent chance at being a Hall of Famer. Um, Greenlaw, I don't think does. And that's not a slight on Greenlaw, on Greenlaw, because most players don't go to the Hall of Fame. But no, but Fred Fred Warner might be the most important player on that side of the ball. In fact, I would suggest that he is even more than Nick Bosa. Really, huh? Yeah, I mean Warner is a tremendous player, and I I think right. almost anybody who is either much better at analyzing defense than I am, or much better at analyzing the 49ers than I am, would say so as well. I thought that I, I, the addition of Chase Young from the Commanders. Might have been the icing on the cake, do you think? Um, or has he be been a disappointment? Uh, well, I don't know if he's been a disappointment as much as he's been more ordinary than they thought he'd be. He hasn't been a, a full-on minus. And there have been times, you know, down the stretch where he would come out for a, for a, a series or two. Uh, he hasn't been a world beater, but he is still somebody you have to account for. So in that way, you know, yeah, they're better off with him than without him, but he hasn't been the impact player that I think people thought he'd be. 
I think everybody knows that you're in the Bay Area. And so our focus of conversation may be on San Francisco. But tell me what you think about the other side. Do you think Kansas City has any chance against Baltimore? If you have Mahomes, you have a shot. Um, but Mahomes but- this year is not like Mahomes the last two or three. No, he was but pretty if you, good but, Sunday, though. Yeah, when you see him on Sunday, you see that's the essence of him, and yeah. and so you never you never take that level of talent and improvisation lightly. But if I'm a betting man, I'm looking at the all the places where Baltimore is better, and I'm also thinking about the one thing that Kansas City is poor at across the board, which is catching the football. Right. If they had a, even above average receivers, not great receivers, above average receivers, they'd be blowing people out, out, out the doors by four scores week in and week out. And that's the one thing that you sort of have to keep in mind is that if they don't drop a bunch of balls, they're very hard to beat. But now they have sort of a, they have a resume where they'll drop two or three in a game. And you just go, which is why I think Baltimore, if they if they if they hit those receivers early, they can get them to shorten their arms, and then you could see a real, you know, you could see a real problem with it. Baltimore is not going to win by thirty, but they could win by two touchdowns solidly because their defense is, I'd say, probably the best. As good as the 49ers, it's it's damn close enough, and that they can. They can knock the 10 other guys the Chiefs have off their feet. They're, they're not going to be able to neutralize Mahomes in and of Mahomes. But Mahomes is like every other quarterback. He needs people around him. And if you can make those other guys shy, then he'll struggle too. That's, That's very much, in my opinion, very much a quarterback's game, isn't it? you got two great quarterbacks, both of whom can be very impactful. Oh, well, that's more of a quarterback's game than, than Purdy golf. Right. But I agree. Again, I could, I, I, there are times when there are teams who have defenses that are so good that they change the nature of every game to tilt their way. And I think that's Baltimore's defense. Kansas city's defense is good. Baltimore's defense is really good. And I think they can make every chief on offense look bad except for Mahomes. That's how that's how that's how good I think Baltimore is. You have to wonder too, it doesn't look like weather's gonna be a factor in 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 Santa is it Santa Rosa or Santa Clara? Santa Clara. Santa Rosa okay, so it doesn't look like it doesn't look yeah it doesn't look like where they should play the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't look like weather's a factor uh, in the 49ers game. How's that? Uh but it does it's gonna it looks like it's gonna rain all day in Baltimore. And, and you have to wonder what kind of factor that is for both set of receiving course. Um, I think Baltimore will be harmed less than, than the chiefs will, because I think one Baltimore's wide receivers are better. I think Zay flowers might have a little trouble in the mud, but I don't know how much mud there is in rainy days anymore. You know, I think yeah. those fields are, are kept pretty close to immaculate and they also can just, they they can just run the ball forty five times. I mean, the just Chiefs. Cur- I don't curious. know. Key. Yeah. You know, it just, it's just 
Yeah, go ahead. As an aside, Ray, just um, when when Goff was at Cal, not that Cal's a great football juggernaut school, but did, did and I know he was I know he was a first you know first overall, but were people in awe of, of Goff at Cal when he played there? In awe, no. Impressed, yes, because Cal has also Cal produced Aaron Rodgers. Mm. You know, Cal Cal's produced a number of very good quarterbacks over the years. So Goff was not the guy who made your jaw drop, but he was a guy, if you were a Cal fan, that you could be happy with. And you know, it's you know, we were I think people at Cal were a little surprised when he was first picked first in the draft. But I think people also thought that that was a draft that wasn't amazing, you know, at least going in. So that when he went first, I think most people who would follow Cal would say, oh, he's good. I don't know if he's that good. But you surround him with enough good players. You know, you put him on a team with Aaron Donald on the other side of the ball, you get better. You know, that's the thing is quarterbacks are part of a greater whole. And the the big flaw that I think a lot of football analysts fall into and fans fall into is that the quarterback is separate from everything else. And he's just not, unless you're Patrick Mahomes. Right. You get a sense that Samuel will play? Uh, I think they will do everything conceivable to do so. They've kept everything pretty much under wraps. That's one of the things that Kyle Shannon's noted for, noted for is keeping his injury list, uh, you know, inside his shirt pocket. But I think, yeah, I don't know that it'll be a hundred percent, but they, him just being out there will make them better. will make McCaffrey better. Uh, it will probably make the passing lanes better for Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle. I think if he's absent, um, you don't have to respect, you know, you, there's, that's somebody you don't really have to respect. You're not going to worry about Chris Conley. You're, you can start double teaming one of those guys on the outside, or you can put an extra guy on the line to take to to bump Kittle off a route. Uh, but if he's on the field, um, it is impact in and of itself. Do you think the Super Bowl should be played on the week after the uh, AFC NFC championships, or is two weeks the right timing? Well, since the since the Super Bowl is basically a gigantic trade show with right. a football game tagged on at the end, the the NFL you know loves the two week walk up, and so okay. it's not even a discussion anymore. The NFL is not really about football as much as it is everything around it. And if you didn't know that before Taylor Swift, you know it now. So yeah, it just the two weeks is just you know. That's just assumed as the way God intended. And in fact, the real argument is about whether there shouldn't be a national holiday the day after the Super Bowl to take care of all the hangovers. Right. <laughs> hey, before we let you go, I got, I'm always fascinated. I always have a link um, with the Bay Area and Jim Harbaugh, uh, just because of his days with the Niners and obviously at Stanford. What's your sense of where Harbaugh's is he going to stay at Michigan or do you see him back in the national football league next year? I think he'd like to get back, but he's got to decide a, if the place he goes will give him the keys to every room in the building, because he's going to want 
you know, complete veto power over anything football related. And it's also whether he can go to a place where there isn't a certain alternate source of power, like, like the Chargers would be an ideal place for him. And everybody talks about, well, they've got Justin Herbert. He's going to go where the best quarterback is. No, at that level of hiring, he wants complete autonomy, which is what he had at Michigan. I mean, to the point where they said, oh, well, sure, he's been suspended twice, but you know, he still makes money for us. And he won a national championship. He can do whatever he wants. So I think that's what he's looking for. And I think he's more likely to get it than Bill Belichick because if Belichick was the slam dunk that people say he is, he'd already be hired by somebody by now. I think there are some hesitations about maybe his age or maybe the amount of autonomy he wants. Whereas if you're signing on to Harbaugh and this time in San Francisco was the shining example of that, you either give him run of the building or you fire him because he got fired in San Francisco for one reason and one reason only. He ran afoul of the of the uh, club president, Jed York, and they were they were at each other's throats for two solid years before he finally left. So if you're an owner, you are signing on to that if you're signing on to Harbaugh. And there might be teams like the Chargers who are so desperate to make an imprint in the market that they're in that they'll go fine. You know, you you want to run the place, run the place. Used to be the money was a factor. You know, you went to the coach would want to go to the pros to make more money, but that's no longer the case because a big name program like Michigan, they can pay, you know, whatever they want to keep their coach. Will they? They can pay whatever they want, but the NFL can pay more than whatever they want. It, if it's a, if it's simply a matter of money and right. a pro team wants you and a college team wants you, the pro team can always spend more money because there's no salary cap in the pros about uh, coaching, coaching. Right. I understand. And if you want Jim Harbaugh that badly, I would, I could easily see him getting $20 million a year. And I don't know that Michigan could go there. Yeah, maybe. That's I mean, they crazy. might want to, but at that point, you know, then it's about what the coach's itch is. And I think it's always bothered Harbaugh. And now that he's won a national championship, he's solved you know, that problem. I think it's always bothered him. They never won the, never won the Super Bowl. He got, right. he got beat by his brother. Every, <laughs> by Thanksgiving, his brother, yeah. every Thanksgiving, right. he's looking across the table, that guy who kicked his ass. <laughs> well, that's it. Hey, now listen, I'd ask you about hockey uh, because I love your mug, but I promised Bob, we wouldn't talk hockey today. So. Thank Fair you. enough. Thank you. Thank you, Ray Ratto. Thanks, hey, Ray. Thank nice you. to Good see you. You're doing well. I'm doing okay. Thanks, pal. Thank you. That's Ray Ratto in San Francisco. Bob McCowan in Toronto. I'm in Edmonton. McCowan podcast continues after this. Okay. uh, We we probably uh, won't do picks because we're doing uh, Deitch is with us tomorrow and Bill Shaken from Los Angeles with us on Friday. We might do picks, but um, what? You like the 40? You like 40? Football picks. You like the 49ers or the Lions? Uh, I like the 49ers, I'm afraid. They, I think the Lions are a great story, and I may be rooting for them, but I don't think they're ready yet as an organization to win again. 
I think they're a year or two away. And San Francisco. I think, be, I think the Lions can beat them. I really do. Oh, I know they can. I don't I doubt that. I don't think they will. I'll tell you what, if, if, if the Lions are in the Super Bowl, Detroit will be wild. Well. It will be crazy. You know, you know, we've never seen it, right? Ever. No, never seen it. And then, and, and you're you're obviously picking Baltimore. Oh, I think so. I I like Kansas City. I think they're more interesting, more exciting. But I don't think they have a chance against Baltimore. Baltimore, I think, everybody thinks they're the best team in football, and maybe by a long shot. Well, they certainly Baltimore, were. Uh, they certainly were the last four or five weeks of the regular season. They were untouchable. Well, take a look at the other losses too. Their losses were mostly close. So yeah, yeah, they are very, right. very good. Okay, well, I tell you what, tons to talk about with Deitch tomorrow. Uh, we will the new? How about the? How about the 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 new f- media deal with Netflix and 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 WWE? We've got firings uh, in the NBA. Uh, there's more coming out about the Hockey Canada scandal, we think, uh, in the next couple of days. So there's yep. tons to talk about with uh, with our pal Deitch. We'll talk to you tomorrow, Bob. See you tomorrow, John. Bye-bye. Okay. Thanks for watching or listening to the McCowan Podcast. Mm-hmm.